888-357-8157. Food from the Hood, the nation's first student-managed company, is now celebrating its 15-year anniversary. You can purchase all-natural honey mustard or creamy Italian salad dressings at all major retail stores and online at Amazon.com. Buying their salad dressing sends a student to college. Visit foodfromthehood.com for more information. Attention parents and grandparents. The world's greatest children's book author, Brian D. McClure, brings you two books, The Raindrop and The Sun and the Moon, both available at Amazon.com and UniversalFlag.com. The entire family has been waiting for these books. Buy both The Raindrop and The Sun and the Moon by Brian D. McClure, and your children and grandchildren will be inspired, entertained, and educated by the messages and illustrations contained within. For more information, go to www.universalflag.com. The universal flag is a symbol that represents our global community, transcending differences while honoring the uniqueness and commonality of all people. The universal flag companies have reached out to over 67 countries because half our world, 3 billion people, live on less than a dollar a day. Brian D. McClure's mission is to spread this symbol globally to inspire and give hope to people in need. Make a donation today to the people who need it most. Help global empowerment prosper through the Universal Flag Companies and make a donation now. For more information, go to www.universalflag.com. That's universalflag.com. day and welcome to a call to consciousness with author and host brian mcclure brian and his guests share their personal stories to empower you in knowing that you too are the difference makers in our world now here's your host brian mcclure hello this is your host brian mcclure and welcome to a call to consciousness this show is brought to you by the universal flag companies the universal flag end symbol represents the oneness of everyone and everything. The end of global poverty will come when each of us remembers the truth of our oneness. When we remember that when any one being suffers, it has an effect on us all. Please join the thousands of others around the globe and display your universal flag or symbol. The opportunity to spread the truth of our oneness rests with us. For more information, please visit the Universal Flag website at universalflag.org. Tonight, we are very pleased to have as our guest, James O'Day. James has been the president of the Institute of Noetic Sciences since 2003. The Institute of Noetic Sciences, or IONS as it is referred to, is a nonprofit membership organization founded in 1973 by astronaut Captain Edgar Mitchell. Prior to joining IONS, James spent 10 years as the director of the Washington Office of Amnesty International, where he testified before Congress met with two U.S. presidents and numerous foreign heads of state and government leaders and represented Amnesty International to the State Department, the White House, and the World Conference on Human Rights. Subsequently, he spent five years as executive director of SIVA, a nonprofit organization dedicated to international health and development issues in Latin America, Asia, and on American Indian reservations. SIVA is a Sanskrit word meaning service. James lived and worked in Turkey and Lebanon and witnessed civil conflict and massacres, which influenced him deeply. 
He brings to Ions a sense of urgency about the issues the world currently faces, as well as his Irish sense of humor and love of language. James, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Good to be with you. You know what? Before we start talking about Ions, the listeners and I would love to know a little bit about you, about your background, where you were born and raised, and what life was like for you and your family. Um, <clears throat> sorry. Uh, yes, I was born in Ireland uh, in the 50s and uh, I moved uh, when I was uh, just turning 12 to England. So I have that uh, combination of the Irish hot blood and the English cool temper. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> I went to a school in London. Uh, that uh, could have been Hogwarts, but wasn't quite, you know, Hogwarts, the uh, the, the magical school in Absolutely. Harry Potter. Uh, it was called Haberdashers Asks Hatcham Grammar School for Boys. Uh, but um, actually, uh, later in my life, I was, you know, vice principal of a school in Turkey, and uh, when I was arriving, they told me that the senior class of this school was very elite school in Turkey, the American Tarsus American School. They said, well, these kids are really tough, and they've been chewing up teachers. So I went in, and I said, look, I was born in Ireland, and the Irish are hot-blooded, and they, they like to fight, and they're, you know, they're very strong-willed people. And I said, then I also grew up in England, and the English are very cool and reserved and difficult to know. And I said to them, you know, guys, you'll not know uh, which day it is, will you? <laughs> <laughs> it worked for a while. <laughs> Always good to carry that stick. So uh, when you were in Turkey, uh, what happened? When I was in Turkey, it began to be that period where um, the left and the right uh, really uh, started hammering each other. And you had, you know, almost a civil war, which ended up in a coup. I personally was knifed in the political violence uh, in a pretty ghastly incident. And then later had my house uh, machine gunned and so on. But there is where I learned commitment, that if you are going to dedicate your life to something you value and you want to serve, you're going to have to face a period of testing as to how deep your commitment is. And I really didn't feel that it was appropriate to run when things got very tough, <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, because my, my Turkish colleague friends at the school couldn't run, or the students couldn't run. And to be with them during that period of nightly you know, shootings and killings until eventually there was a military uh, coup, and... Uh, it was one of those uh, bloodless military coups. I never thought I'd get to a point in my life where I'd say, well, thank goodness for the coup. But uh, it actually was something that restabilized the country and stopped the horrible bloodletting and returned very quickly the country to its democratic roots. James, where was it that you gained your sense of consciousness that you brought to Turkey? Um, well, I have to say, you know, that, um, you know, I owe a lot to my parents, and uh, my, uh, my mother had a particularly strong spiritual being. 
she was uh, a Roman Catholic and a, a fervent one. But every now and then she would go worship in a Protestant church just to make it clear that she understood that uh, there was only one force in the universe and uh, that we, you know, we were all blessed by that. And um, she used to have this phrase, it's kind of sort of a quaint uh, Irish way of putting it, but it was a very powerful message. And in fact, I, I have three sons and I repeated those messages to my sons. She would say, you know, you are as great as any king who ever walked the face of this earth. Very empowering thing to say to a young man. Absolutely. And then she would say, and you are no better than the man who takes away your garbage. That's so very that, powerful. Yes. So, yes, that's a, that's a very deep and powerful message to, to give. And it gives one a sense of confidence but also humility, and I hope I have lived that sense of, you know, certainly in that work in Amnesty International, having to meet heads of state and say to them face-to-face, -face, you know, you're torturing your citizens, you're breaking human rights legislation. You had to have a tremendous sense of, of being empowered by conscience, and at the same time not overstepping, you know, knowing that... Uh, you know, pride usually precedes a fall. How did you decide to go to work for Amnesty International? After uh, Turkey, um, I uh, did an assignment in Beirut with the Middle East Council of Churches, uh, which had a connection also with a church in the United States, um, you know, Congregationalist Church, the United Church of Christ. And it was there that I saw the war, the Israeli invasion, and then the subsequent massacre of the Palestinians in Sabra Shatila. And that was a very, you know, I often think of a graph of my life, what was the densest, darkest spot. And it was there, you know, all of the lights and the electricity was cut off. And you could see these flares were going over the southern part of the city. And what had happened was the uh, occupying military force had really allowed the militias to go into the Palestinian camps. And, um, you know, I, I don't want to distress your listeners here, but, you know, children were murdered under their beds. Families were slaughtered around the dinner table. There were people found in the alleys, in the streets, in closets. Everywhere they rushed, they were attacked. And it was so graphic. And somehow, you know, those F-16s, you know, flying over and bombs and uh, so on had less of an impact on me than that graphic killing where, where people went in and stabbed and machine-gunned people to death. And um, it was a bleak moment for me. And I, I remember... Some weeks later, feeling, you know, like a loss of faith, a loss of confidence. How can humanity be this dark and, and ugly? And mm -hmm. uh, there was, uh, I went south to another camp that had largely been decimated. And there was an old man in the rubble. I was with some doctors, and he, he beckoned to us, and he said, you know, come and have some coffee. And we said no until eventually we knew it was important for him out of the rubble of what had been his home to pour 
a coffee for us and to let us witness his dignity. And it was in that moment that I had a kind of spiritual epiphany where I said, the spirit is deeper, the consciousness is deeper than anything else, that no bombs or no massacres could take the dignity out of the soul. And it wasn't about who was right or who was wrong in the Palestinian-Israeli story. It was about human beings and their dignity. And so then that really propelled me to how can I be a part of the solution that would would hold up human dignity, human rights, and for 10 years really uh, was a voice in Washington directing the office there and meeting with uh, many government leaders face-to-face, you know, in those times of how do you, how do you stop the torture and the violence. It's very distressing for me to to see, you know, what has been happening in terms of the lowering of the standard uh, in the U.S. in terms of techniques that we would clearly in the human rights community categorize as torture, and now people are debating, well, is this a severe method or is it torture? You know, let's call torture torture when it happens. Mm -hmm. Sounds like you went through a tremendous dark night of the soul in order to find that that place that you needed to be what a what a very difficult uh, experience that was but on the other hand how tremendously beneficial for all of those that you have helped in the work that you've done really in a lifetime you know after you went through that and you started working for amnesty international what was it that that caused you to shift and say okay now i'm going to work for the institute of noetic sciences well, I actually went from Amnesty to the Seva Foundation, uh, which was uh, started by Ramdas. You know, uh, at, at, there was one pivotal moment uh, about six months before I left, and uh, you know, every day I would wake up to, to, to these stories of torture and murder and mayhem, and do our best to try to, you know, be the voice of civilization and. And uh, but one day, you know, I, I got to work, and they, the, the staff said to me, "We have some bad news." They said, "Iqbal Masi, his 12-year-old boy in Pakistan, has been murdered." Now, Iqbal Masi's story was the story of a young man who, at age five, was shackled to a loom in Pakistan, and by age, uh, almost age nine. He had escaped and began to tell the world that there were other children who were enslaved for the carpet industry. And he began to, you know, at that early age, you know, by, by age 10, he was becoming internationally known, you know, and uh, organizing, you know, to, to get people's attention to this issue. Mm-hmm. At age 11, he got a human rights award. We brought him to the United States, and, and Reebok gave him the human rights award. And at age 12, he was murdered. And I went uh, home that evening, and we had a little circle around the dinner table. And e- each evening, my sons and I and my wife, we would each one would say what happened during their day. And I, I told the boys. Iqbal's story and how upset I was. And then a few minutes later, my uh, youngest son um, 
said, yes, and I scored a goal in soccer today. <laughs> and uh, I realized I've got to change my business. I've got, I, you know, I, what I wanted to do was to stop them and shake them and say, you know, Iqbal Masih's been murdered. And then I realized I need to get out of this. I need to, to transform my own story here. And uh, Jean Houston, I don't know if you know her yes. work, has, has, was a, a long-term friend and a great friend to me during those Amnesty International years. And uh, she, uh, part of her voice was also, now you have to tell the deeper story of the wounding and healing processes that cause the human rights abuses. You have to tell the deeper story of what human capacities and possibilities are about. So I left Amnesty and, and first of all for about five years was the executive director of SEVA, which was an international health and development organization founded by Ram Dass and others who wanted to really look at a more spiritual approach to the development model. So while in Amnesty I was, you know, fighting against what was wrong, in those years with SEVA I was able to begin to be a part of the, the solution. How do we stop bi blindness, diabetes amongst Native Americans, poverty? Uh, but also during those years um, I got a grant from the Fetzer Institute to begin those dialogues that Jean had inspired me to start with victims of torture and abuse around where does the wound begin and how do we transmute it in history. I brought together former Nazi and Holocaust survivor, former IRA man and, and uh, somebody of the Protestant militias, people from different areas to begin to look at how do you perpetrate, how do you and what is the way out? What is the healing that can begin? How does, how does really authentic forgiveness release us? You know, and, and mm -hmm. did some work with Michael Lapsley, the uh, pastor to the ANC who had had his hands and part of his face blown off, but who had started an institute for the healing of memory. So much great work there in South Africa. It's very different from the amnesty work. It's about then how do we find reconciliation? How do we find forgiveness mm -hmm. instead of continuing the cycles that get carried out in history? How do we light the next torch of evolution in a way that, that reveals that human beings have this tremendous capacity to release love and higher consciousness? And that's what really then took me to the Institute of Noetic Sciences. What are the powers and the possibilities of consciousness itself that, can, that we can harness for humanity to create a peaceful planetary civilization? You know, for the listeners that don't know, James, if you could tell us what the word noetic means. Very good question, yes. Well, you know, uh, you mentioned in the introduction that Edgar Mitchell, Captain Edgar Mitchell, the sixth man to walk on the moon, was the founder of this organization. And he was coming back to Earth in that spinning capsule, beginning to see the blue jewel of the Earth. And uh, something started to open up inside of him. And he had this experience of being connected 
of a profound spiritual experience of the connectedness of, and oneness of everything, and then looking at planet Earth there, seeing it as a whole, seeing it as complete, as interconnected, and then landing on planet Earth and seeing that it was not as connected as it needed to be. <laughs> Uh, and so he had a, a, a scientific training, but something had happened to him that had gone beyond the rational mind. And so noetic is this Greek word that means to know directly, to know without having the logic of the the either-or rational mind, it must be this or that, but to know in your heart and soul, to be opened up so deeply in your own consciousness that you just know something. And so he created this institute that really sort of is a meeting place for the way we know logically and rationally and scientifically, and then that meeting place of the other way that we know in our heart and souls and in our deep experience, and to value those and to create a good and deep conversation between scientific ways of knowing and the more spiritual and depth consciousness ways of knowing. So really it's a a blending of science and spirituality. It has nothing to do with spirituality, but it's using science to almost prove the oneness. As many scientists today have broken it down into uh, atoms and, and much, much smaller particles and have, have now figured out that everything is created from the same chemistry, just different vibrations of the same. What is it that the uh, Institute does to work with, you know, the different areas that they work? Tell us some of the different areas that you work in, and then, you know, who works on these projects? Mm-hmm. Well, of course, when it began 35 years ago, uh, things were new in this conversation about the connection between science and deeper consciousness or spiritual uh, relationships. And so Ions started to look at the anomalies. How can we look at things that are strange, that don't connect? It did massive research around the remission of disease. It has, it's still, you can go to the noetic.org website, that's N-O-E-T-I-C.org, and you can find parts of the remission bibliographies, the largest bibliographies in the world on what happens, you know, when a, a disease suddenly arrests, what's going on? Is there a relationship between attitude and belief and uh, the, the consciousness in this issue? So Ions was initially very, very well known in the field of mind-body health, you know, the old-fashioned word for that was psychoneuroimmunology. Mm -hmm. <laughs> People realized that was too long, and it came up with mind-body health, which was very new. And you remember those series on TV, Healing in the Mind, and so on. Some of that was based on Ion's research. Now those concepts are very familiar. Things have accelerated so fast. So the other area that Ion's was looking at was then mind and matter, is there a relationship between your intention or your prayers, you could say, and their effects in healing another person or changing a circumstances? So it not only did itself, but it funded 
a lot of research around prayer and intentionality and healing. And there's a lot of very suggestive evidence that prayer in, in under certain conditions is really, you know, has this healing power. Certainly, we have a research lab here on our campus. We have a 200-acre campus uh, in Northern California, just not far from San Francisco. And there, for example, we look deeply in our research lab into some of those areas that you were talking about. What is the relationship between consciousness and what we call the quantum field that connects everything? Because we know, without getting too technical here, that that quantum field is strange. Einstein said, uh, wow, he, he referred to it as spooky action at a distance because it just, it was spooky. It's spooky because when you get into all of that substrate of matter, you know, the hard table and so on, underneath it in its quantum constituents, time as we know it disappears. Space as we know it doesn't follow the same laws. And something seems to be able to be here and there, both a particle and a wave, and seems to be very influenced by the person who's looking at it. So physicists, you know, came up with this astonishing fact that consciousness seems to re relate to matter in some fundamental way and have a relationship with it. So the notion that, you know, there is, there is dead stuff in matter and there's living beings in consciousness and they're entirely separate, that view, that worldview collapsed in the 20th century. And we said, no, it's, we're, it's a part of a connected whole. So one of the things that we have done is also study meditation and its effects, how the brain changes, the neural synchrony, how, how if, you, if you imagine your brain as it might be now, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, you know, it's like a computer that needs to be defragged. You know, you've got all these files in different places and it, it needs to be brought into a more orderly place. Well. A little bit of meditation will start to create uh, coherence in the brain. And again, if you go to our website, you'll see we have the largest bibliography on all of the science around meditation and its effects. And it seems that it, it, the more you meditate, the healthier you get, the longer you live, the happier you are. But one of the things that we were studying was, is there in the brain of a person who's meditating a connection with that quantum field. And so we took some very advanced meditators. One of them was an Indian Swami. Mm -hmm. And we said to him, we have a, a, a room which is electromagnetically sealed in a part of our campus where we're going to bounce every minute a particular photon off, you know, from a machine and, and bounce it off a mirror. And all you have to do with your meditating mind is before the photon hits the mirror is to block it with your mind. <laughs> not, a, not a hard task. Well, Swami Veda, every time it was tested, it was like somebody had put their hand in front of the photon and it never reached the mirror. If you try that experiment with somebody who doesn't meditate or who's only beginning to meditate, they simply can't do it. 
That now, sounds like a very difficult task. You know, James, I want you to hold that thought because we are coming up to uh, a break here. And uh, when we come back, I want to continue on with this subject. Our guest today is James O'Day, president of the Institute of Noetic Sciences. You're listening to A Call to Consciousness. We'll be right back. Attention parents and grandparents. The world's greatest children's book author, Brian D. McClure, brings you two books, The Raindrop and The Sun and the Moon, both available at Amazon.com and UniversalFlag.com. The entire family has been waiting for these books. Buy both The Raindrop and The Sun and the Moon by Brian D. McClure, and your children and grandchildren will be inspired, entertained, and educated by the messages and illustrations contained within. For more information, go to www.universalflag.com. The universal flag is a symbol that represents our global community, transcending differences while honoring the uniqueness and commonality of all people. The Universal Flag companies have reached out to over 67 countries because half our world, 3 billion people, live on less than a dollar a day. Brian D. McClure's mission is to spread this symbol globally to inspire and give hope to people in need. Make a donation today to the people who need it most. Help global empowerment prosper through the Universal Flag Companies and make a donation now. For more information, go to www.universalflag.com. That's universalflag.com. Hello and welcome back to A Call to Consciousness. This is your host, Brian McClure, and our guest today is James O'Day, president of the Institute of Noetic Sciences. James, just before the break, you were telling us about the Swami who was able to block the photons, and that is something that sounds very interesting. And in the years that I've meditated, I would love that challenge to see, to see <laughs> what happens. Yes. And of course, you know, as you said earlier, what it seems to indicate is, you know, the reality of the interconnection between our minds, our thoughts, our beliefs, and the broader field of reality. We now know, for example, the conversation is warming up around, uh, you know, our attitudes and beliefs and our genes. You remember, Brian, in the late part of the 20th century when they were mapping the human genome, and people said, well, there have to be a hundred, over 100,000 genes to match all the hu proteins in the human body. And they stopped mapping the human genome. I think it's around 25,000 uh, you know that the genes they found mm -hmm. uh, about uh, uh, a little bit more than a banana and uh, uh, close to the number in a mouse. Uh, so you know they said, "Whoops, <laughs> something <laughs> seems to be missing here. Genes are not going to explain everything." And uh, now, you know, this other field, epigenetics, has begun. 
that looks at the relationship between your thoughts, beliefs, your interior moods, that whole interior life, and what switches on and off your genes. So the people who um, were told by your doctor, you know, my goodness, you know, you've got bad genes in this or that, or, you know, you've got great genes. We've discovered that people with, you know, great genes come down with certain diseases, and people who are supposed to have terrible genes and genetic propensity towards something, those genes never switch on, so they never get sick. <laughs> and so you begin to look at, well, what, are, what is switching on and off those positive and negative genes? And attitude becomes very important. Some very good uh, research around laughter it seems to be one of those things that switches on your positive genes. So make sure you laugh uh, enough, and uh, that's going to actually help your health. You know, I have been told by so many people that, and, and I know this to be true, that so many of us as adults uh, leave our inner child behind and we, we stop playing. I mean, at mm -hmm. some point we put the toys down, and uh, if we can maintain that connection with our inner child, that joy of playing and that joy of just being, it really helps facilitate a very happy uh, a lifetime. Mm-hmm. Yes, I think that's, uh, that's very, very true. There's some aspect of the child, too, that we call naive, and yet there's something in that naivete that you never want to lose. You never want to be lose that naivete in a way that you don't want to go out and take on the dragons or believe in the possibilities that you can believe in and imagine as a child. I think there's something there's something actually very sacred about that that childish naivete. Mm -hmm. Of course, we want to grow wise, and that's a different thing. But we never want to lose that inner child. I I totally agree. Have you done any work with with uh, looking into reincarnation or uh, a, uh, a near-death experience? Uh, well, it's interesting you should say, that, ask that. I was the uh, keynote speaker last night at a conference of uh, the regression therapists who, who, who look at um, when they can't find the issue in the person's current life, you know, they do some past life regression. And um, so I was their keynote speaker. Um, the, uh, we have a magazine which is called Shift Magazine. And last year, one of the issues of Shift Magazine focused on both the, the, the research around near-death experiences and reincarnation. And all that we can say is that, you know, in both areas, there's increasing amount of well-done, well-researched material that suggests in the near-death experience or the death experience then when someone comes back, there is so much that, that is verified between people who've never spoken to each other and on different continents, in different cultures, about the nature of that experience that suggests that there is some consciousness that, you know, goes beyond the dying moment. 
And then with regard to reincarnation, uh, Professor Stevenson's work at the University of Virginia over 25 years, I mean, a very, very solid body of research uh, looking particularly at children who, because it seems, you know, if you're trying to, to research reincarnation, children who, who talk about in their early childhood uh, refer to things and names and places vividly that they start to lose as they grow older in, in some extent. But, you know, um, there will be a conference um, later this year, I believe, um, with the uh, woman who is believed to be the reincarnation of Anne Frank. And again, as she was uh, growing up as a child, she was able to name the rooms. And when they took her to what is now the Anne Frank Museum, she was able to tell them, well, you've replaced this wall and you've changed this area and that's where a cupboard were. <laughs> Things that you could not know otherwise. So, you know, scientifically we don't yet have a handle on it. But, you know, you start to build a picture. You say, okay, the spiritual realm, the non-physical realm in consciousness, if consciousness is not totally dependent on the physical realm, you know, the theories and research around that. The notion of the field, you know, there are a number of books out now. One is just called The Great Field, another book called The Field by Lynn McTaggart, that's looking at this interconnected field at the quantum level that suggests that we are all connected and that information is stored in that field. You begin to get a new map, Brian. You get a, begin to get a new map of reality. And one of the things that the Institute of Noetic Sciences does is goes fearlessly into this territory but tries to be discerning and reliable and show people where the information and the research is reliably gathering mm -hmm. without letting our enthusiasm go overboard and make claims that are just not yet verifiable in science. So you know, that's I, our place and our role. And, and I appreciate that tremendously. It actually uh, gives some credibility to some of the experiences that I've had. You know, I've, I've told uh, many people that for many years I never, ever wanted to be the facilitator, the creator of the universal flag. I mean, I was awakened by an inner voice for five years telling me to do it. And uh, typically I would wake up and telepathically communicate that they had the wrong person. They should contact Oprah or Wayne Dyer or anyone that <laughs> had, you know, a voice, and, and they should do that. And one of the things that I found out was that, you know, when you do have that connection, and I was given a lot of gifts, you know, oneness of everyone and everything was not a road or a route that I was on at all. I was really just a family man and, you know, owned some businesses. And and I kind of get that, you know, when, when, when you have a calling, uh, you know, that's something that doesn't necessarily go away. At least for me, it took a baseball bat to get me into this position. And uh, as I stopped trying to control everything and, and, and moved over into the passenger seat, it's amazing the 
things that are occurring, even even this radio show, and I think it's just a wonderful opportunity uh, for us to experience consciousness in a new way. Do you see a shift in consciousness taking place across our world? Mm-hmm. I would like to say, before I answer that question, and just in response to what you were saying, Brian, that I feel that's very accurate, and it is maybe part of even the mapping of consciousness, maybe from the more spiritual perspective, because one of the things that we do is look at all of those spiritual technologies and traditions and what they're saying about the nature of consciousness. And one of the things they say that you were alluding to there is that you let go of something in your own identity, you know, where you've built up some image or, you know, definition of who you are, and something comes knocking at your door, you can ignore it, or in fact you can surrender somehow to that more universal call, to a, some deeper call, and it, it sometimes is, it gives you that, that, that butterflies in your stomach <laughs> experience of, um, of, you know, many people we've interviewed, we've done hundreds and hundreds of interviews of people who've had experiences just like the one you were saying. Mm-hmm. And uh, they all have that sense of, you know, at first you feel, you know, it's too challenging, it's too great because you're, it, it, it's taking you into something larger than yourself. But when you surrender to that larger story uh, uh, that you were called to, in this case, you know, what an incredibly big job that, that, that came your way that said, you know, begin to be a spokesperson for this universal flag. And you responded. One's identity then shapes around the larger story. It's a classical transformational story. We had here the other day, uh, to answer your question now, mm-hmm. uh, um, a very brilliant uh, spiritual leader from India, Sadhguru Jagadev. And, uh, you know, he's, his group, uh, uh, through the Isha Foundation, they planted almost 7 million trees last year. And, uh, you know, his phenomenal wow. output in terms of his influence. But one of the things that he was saying in relationship to that question is, we know that it has to be real for each person so that the transformational energy, when you begin to experience this deeper reality, this larger story, and the fact that something seems to be rising in consciousness, that you could say, and and there's good science around this, has the power of love in it. Love is, is, is a tremendous force. It needs to be shared with others. And um, you know, there's another Indian mystic, Meher Baba, who said, you know, love is in no way susceptible to any kind of force, but it is contagious. It is spread. People who have love, you know, can give it to people who are looking for love, and it is in that way that the whole thing will shift. So I do think there is evidence, you know, in this conversation between mm-hmm. science and spirituality that the evolutionary story that we were told of survival of the fittest, dog-eat-dog kind of competitive world, you know, has aspects of truth in it, but there is a much deeper truth that science now affirms, which is 
actually, if you're in service, if you're altruistic, research around the people who serve other people altruistically, their hearts are better, their blood pressure is better, they live longer, they are happier. What does that mean? It means that somehow in the paradigm of the universe, to serve others, to love others, to be grateful, to forgive, and forgiveness is very big because, you know, what happens, your own body punishes you if you don't forgive. You get cardiovascular constriction if you're thinking about somebody you haven't forgiven and your body is kind of at you to release. And when you release, you do better for your own health and you do better for the health of the other. So I do think that there are very important indicators that we are beginning to realize that we are people who are deeply relational, deeply values-oriented, and that these things must be empowered to shape our lives. And at the same time, you know, you can begin to see that people are returning to an understanding that we are somehow profoundly related to nature. We got very off track with that. But you see a trend, a big movement. It's not just a, an angry movement about the state of the climate and pollution. It's actually a recovery, a remembrance that we need to be in relationship because there's something in the earth and in the larger cosmos that is we are a part of and we must share our intelligence and wisdom and love and creativity in the context of other life, other species and of nature itself to fully blossom. Otherwise, we, we will continue on that destructive path. And I, I think there is a little intensification coming our way as some of the old beliefs that are based on competition and uh, even violence are beginning to have their last call. It's sort of a last survival call, and evolution is saying to them, you know what, hmm. there's another way. I would there's agree with you. There's a way that you. humanity will evolve, and it's not that. I would agree with you. Hold that thought. Our guest today is James O'Day, president of the Institute of Noetic Sciences. You're listening to A Call to Consciousness. We'll be right back. Attention parents and grandparents. The world's greatest children's book author, Brian D. McClure, brings you two books, The Raindrop and The Sun and the Moon, both available at Amazon.com and UniversalFlag.com. The entire family has been waiting for these books. Buy both The Raindrop and The Sun and the Moon by Brian D. McClure, and your children and grandchildren will be inspired, entertained, and educated by the messages and illustrations contained within. For more information, go to www.universalflag.com. The universal flag is a symbol that represents our global community, transcending differences while honoring the uniqueness and commonality of all people. The Universal Flag companies have reached out to over 67 countries because half our world, 3 billion people, live on less than a dollar a day. 
Brian D. McClure's mission is to spread this symbol globally to inspire and give hope to people in need. Make a donation today to the people who need it most. Help global empowerment prosper through the Universal Flag Companies and make a donation now. For more information, go to www.universalflag.com. That's universalflag.com. Hello, and we're back. You're listening to A Call to Consciousness. Our guest today is James O'Day, president of the Institute of Noetic Sciences. James, just before the break, you were talking about three things that I love to talk about. Number one was love, number two was forgiveness, and number three was service to others. You know, in all of the uh, experiences that I've had, the one inner voice that I've had that's been the loudest has talked about love, and it is said to uh, allow people to know that they need to put three-in-one oil on the doors to their heart and open that love valve up to all. Forgiveness, as you said, is the only way to help to uh, heal ourselves individually from the, the illnesses that we create by holding on to so many of the, the victimizations that we feel that we have. And certainly one of the things that I've always talked about, I, I came to understand that everything that comes here comes to be of service to others, whether it's the food that we'll eat tomorrow or the air that we breathe or the trees that are here. I was just given this understanding that everything vibrates from an unconditional love position and that Service to others is why everything works on this planet. What, uh, what research have you done in those areas? Um, the, uh, the story of the heart is an incredible story because, you know, not really not so many years ago, we didn't know what we now know. I mean, of course, just that image in the embryo in the mother's womb, it is the heart that precedes the brain. Isn't that beautiful? It's like we form around the heart. And then we've understood at the Institute of Noetic Sciences has done a lot of collaborative work with another institute called the Institute of Heart Mass. Um, they'd make wonderful guests for your show, too, the Heart Math Institute. And um, you see, uh, as we're learning now about the heart, that, you know, uh, a, a nice meditative exercise is to breathe into your heart. You know, it's, a very, it's very good for your body and your, your flow. But if you think, if you place in your heart one person you love, you know, so even the listeners could do it at this point. You know, if you place, breathe into your heart and you place one person you love in your heart and you watch them there in your heart smiling at you, what happens inside your body's biochemistry and electromagnetic field is incredible. The heart starts to break up all of the cortisol in your system, any stressors, starts to release hormones and relaxants. And so we know that the electromagnetic field of the heart is 5,000 times the strength of the brain. So we really are beginning a whole new journey in terms of 
both uh, literally heart health, but that deep emotional and psycho-spiritual understanding of what the heart really is as an organizing principle. And um, so, you know, it's very clear from the research that people who are in loving relationships, again, they have longer health and wellness indicators. And um, I think the story of forgiveness there in South Africa, that incredible benchmark of a nation that had been oppressed deeply, uh, shifting out of that oppression, not with a whole new period of vengeance and violence, but a process that said, we must tell the truth in order to reconcile and we must also forgive. You know, I've, mm. I've connected with Bishop Desmond Tutu over the year. That's a benchmark in evolution that says, this is the way we can move forward in civilization. We can actually heal the wounds of the past in this way. And, um, you know, I think that's, that's very hopeful and exciting for the future. Absolutely. What a great opportunity for all of us to use that simple tool to help to help ourselves and and at the same time it sends a tremendous vibration of energy out into the world and to the other person that we're breathing into our heart mm-hmm. indeed well i know that you have some speaking engagements coming up where are you going to be speaking next james um, i'm going to be in uh, chicago next weekend and uh, there um there is a, a workshop on 10 years of research that we've done and a book uh, that our research team has published called Living Deeply, The Art and Science of Transformation. So we went to 16 of the largest spiritual traditions in the world and to their teachers. We did extensive interviewing and analysis around what and how do people transform. And then we did thousands of interviews with with so-called average people, (laughs) (laughs) people like you and me, about their own transformational experiences. And so we've come up with a distillation of what we call the art and science of transformation, and that that will be a... um, a a workshop in Chicago around that. And then... uh, I will be in Carmel a little later uh, doing a, a lecture and a whole series of things in, in a round that's called The Astronaut, the Scientist, and the Poet. <laughs> and uh, so, but I, I, uh, I would like to encourage people to look at our website at noetic.org. We also have another website for members called Shift in Action. And we have an annual report called the Shift Report, which they can get on the web or even a PDF just to download. And the Shift Report is really our best interpretation of what are all those big waves and movements in consciousness and evolution at this time, part of which is what Paul Hawken calls blessed unrest, the hundreds of thousands of organizations and initiatives like your own, Brian, across the planet that are really beginning to shift and change and Mm -hmm. express a new hopefulness. But people are taking this work into their hands. They're not waiting for their governments to do it. Because some of the governments 
seem to be, you know, in an older mode. And sometimes at the Institute we say we're hospice workers for the dying paradigm and we're midwives for the new. So we have to be respectful about all of the things that our others have done that are no longer working. But you James. don't you don't let them go by denigration and violence and repudiation. James, you we're going to have to have you back on. Our time is uh-huh. up. I want to thank you so much for being our guest. And uh, we're going to have you back on again. You are a wealth of information. We look forward to having you. Thanks to all the listeners we have out there. Join us next week for a call to consciousness. We'll see you then. Thank you. Bye-bye. You did the right thing. For years, you paid for life insurance to make sure your growing family was taken care of. But if you're a senior 70 or older whose family has grown, it's time to stop paying for that expensive policy you no longer need and finally get paid back for being so responsible. You can get cash for your life insurance policy, probably more cash than you'd ever imagine. For free information to see how much money your policy may be worth, call Peachtree's Life Settlement Corporation now, 1-800-900-4131. Get the money you need to use however you like. Take a dream vacation, pay off your mortgage or medical bills, or put it into an investment that could earn you even more money. Stop paying for a life insurance policy you don't need. You deserve to be paid back for being so responsible. If you're 70 or older, get cash for your old life insurance policy. For your free information, call Peachtree now. 1-800-900-4131. That's 1-800-900-4131. 1-800-900-4131. Warning, if you're about to buy hardwood flooring, you're about to pay hundreds, even thousands more than you should. How do we know? We're lumber liquidators, and nobody sells hardwood flooring for less. Call now for your beautiful, free, full-color catalog, 1-800-700-5516. We ship top-quality flooring directly to you, even Bellawood, the hardwood flooring Bob Vila installed in his home. Don't pay too much for hardwood flooring. Call lumber liquidators now for your free-color catalog, 1-800-700-5516. That's 1-800-700-5516. Okay, pick up your phone and get ready to call 1-800-600-5591. Because at Purity Products, we're giving away a breakthrough formula free. It's called the Omega-3 Super Formula, an advanced 3-in-1 combo for your heart, blood pressure, concentration, joints, skin, triglyceride levels. It even lowers cholesterol. And that's right, we're giving away this super formula free. To find out how, call 1-800-600-5591. This revolutionary formula provides all the health benefits of our pharmaceutical-grade fish oil for your skin, joints, and concentration. But we also added plant sterols, an ingredient clinically proven to lower cholesterol naturally. Even better, we also added the energy-boosting benefits of CoQ10 to make it a truly super formula. We want to rush you a free bottle so you can try it before you buy it. Call now, and you'll also receive a free gift of Purity's CoQ Rescue Serum for fine lines and wrinkles. Call 1-800-600-5591. That's 1-800-600-5591. We don't get many second chances. This one could save your life. A TIA, or transient ischemic stroke, is a mini-stroke. Symptoms usually go away within 24 hours and you feel fine again. But if you don't get to a stroke center or hospital fast, you risk a full-fledged stroke that can change your life forever. Don't take that chance. Contact National Stroke Association at 1-800-STROKES or visit stroke.org and find out more about recognizing stroke symptoms fast. Do it now while there's still time. 
A warm welcome to Mr. Bill Gale, renowned coin expert. Mr. Gale, please tell us about this amazing discovery deep in the vaults of the Smithsonian. Well, never-seen-before sketches by America's premier coin designer, George T. Morgan, were discovered. He designed the Morgan Silver Dollar. And in these sketches, Morgan proposed a $100 coin? That's right. It was to be the largest ever in size, weight, and denomination. Pity it was never struck. Oh, but it was. I have one right here. Oh, my. It's absolutely huge. Why, it fills the palm of my hand. Pure silver, too. Weighs a hefty 1.5 ounces. And our listeners can get in on this? 